Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. everybody. I'm glad you're here. Are you glad to be in church on Super Bowl Sunday? All right, I got 17 of you. Um, I, I'm just excited to be here. I, uh, it's probably going to be the most exciting thing that happens today. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, nobody, nobody really worth paying attention to is playing today, right? Okay, okay, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Do I have any Chiefs fans in the house? There, <laughs> I'm getting a glare back there. I got one Chiefs fan. Do we got anybody? Anybody else? Oh, we got two Chiefs fans. All right. We got anybody from anybody Tampa Bay? Is that is that who you're pulling for? No. <laughs> uh, somebody told me before service. They said they're cheering for Tampa Bay because nobody likes them. <laughs> that's what they said. So that's my kind of person. Go for it. Uh, cheer for for Tampa Bay. <clears throat> Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. I had um, I had the best week of my probably not the best week of my life. Uh, my wife's here, so I don't. I've got to be careful what I say. <clears throat> my wife's right over here. Kimmy, I love you, baby. Keep put your hands so everybody can see where you are. This is my wife, <clears throat> the mother of my three children, and um, she is she is my rock. But I had uh, probably the most transformative week of my life last week. Um, I, I'm just thankful that I'm part of a church that allows the pastor to, to go places and be healthy himself. Um, I think sometimes we, we just expect a lot out of a pastor and we forget that, you know what, hey, the pastor's a dude too. Like he, he, needs, he needs friends and he needs help just like everybody else. And so um, I was able to go out and be at, um, at a men's deal called The Return, and I'm telling you, it was the most transformational um, five days I've ever experienced. Um, absolutely incredible. And it wasn't uh, like a typical man's retreat, you know, like do better, you suck, kick you in the butt, go, go do better. It wasn't that. Um, it, was, it was an encounter with God. And, uh, and I, I just, um, I feel like, I feel like a new man. Yeah. Uh, I want to say this, we're actually going to be hosting the same event here at, at our church in the end of April, beginning of May, April 27th to May 2nd. Uh, there's only 12 spots, and I'm pretty sure a bunch of them have already been, like at least six have already been taken. So if you want to be a part of this, if you're a man and you're like, I need, I need real change in my life, uh, I want to encourage you uh, to get onto our, so I don't know if it's on social media yet, but the link will be on there. Uh, right away if it's not, but you need to get on there and you need to get signed up. It will change your life. I promise. All right. All right. I got, I got one. Very good. I heard you guys were super loud for Pastor Trent, like responding to him. And like with me, you're like, what's he going to say? 
what you need to know is I, I told somebody this before. They're like, yeah, he was like, it was like a southern, southern revival. He was like preaching and everybody was saying amen. Here's the deal. I'll just tell you. Like, here's a little tip about me. If you do that kind of stuff, I will, I will get crazy, okay? Uh, like, I don't, <laughs> he's like, oh, let's see it. Let's see it. I, because honestly, like, I, I just, I, I love it when people respond. I, I don't like boring church. I'm just telling you that right now. Rule number one in, a, in pastoring a church is make sure it's a church the pastor wants to go to. Uh, and so I don't want to go to a boring church. I want to go to a church where people agree with what's being said and they're, they're, they're willing to be like, yeah, let it be so. Amen, right? <clears throat> like, that's good. That's good stuff. So today, uh, I'm supposed to be preaching a sermon series uh, that we were going to call Good Bones, and we were going to talk about kind of like play off of the HGTV idea of uh, of a house with good bones and talk about marriages with good bones because maybe sometimes the aesthetics, what you're seeing, isn't what you like, but if you can get down to the good bones, you got good stuff, right? It's a great idea, um, but as I began to study for it, I just, I just really scrapped the whole idea because I just found some really cool stories in Scripture about bones, and I just want to preach about bones. Is that all right? Uh, rule number two in pastoring your church, preach what you want to preach. Uh, so <laughs> here we go. So um, we're, going to, we're going to jump in, and, and we're going to preach about some bones. And this message today, I think it really... Um, for me, it hits home, and here's why. Because I grew up as a, a church kid. Anybody else grow up? You were a church kid? Uh, yeah, come on. <clears throat> Anybody thankful church kids are back in session next door? Come on. <clears throat> yes, get to church. You need Jesus. And, um, and, and I'm, just, I'm just one of these guys. I, I, I grew up going to church, and I remember as a kid that uh, evangelists, I grew up in old school church that had evangelists that would come and preach revivals. Anybody go to a church that had revival services, right, revival nights, like, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then like make up extra days. Like they just, and you got it, you, and just you're expected to be at all of them. And I don't know how the church expected people to have a job and go to church, but, but that's how it was. <laughs> and, but, but I remember hearing so many times, it was this theme as a kid, uh, I would hear guest ministers preaching in our church, and uh, they would talk about how fearful they were about the next generation of believers, about how concerned they were that the truth might be lost, or how, how afraid they were that, that younger people weren't really picking up the mantle of God and moving forward. And, and I just want to say this uh, for all of you, I, I don't believe that for a second. Uh, I believe that there is a generation that is grabbing the truth of God and running with it. I I believe that in this house there are young people that are more on fire for God than you would ever believe. Like, Like what you don't see is young people that show up in this house on their own, that they have Bible studies on their own, old people that have Bible studies on their own, getting together prayer meetings on their own. Like not everything has to be programmed and organized. But when there's a fire on the inside, it it becomes the unstoppable move of God. I said the most impactful week of my life was probably last week, but the most impactful season of my life was when I was 17 and I was about to turn 18. I, I graduated high school 
at 17, and um, <clears throat> which was a total uh, fluke because I don't know how I graduated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I, I went to school in Canada, and they, they taught me early on uh, that uh, they didn't teach me. I, I moved there when I was in junior high, and they told me that I only needed a 51% to be able to pass to the next grade. And I was like, oh, good. I'm going to go rock climbing then. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I choose, rock climbing. And uh, so I would do, I would do the assignments uh, as necessary. And thank the Lord, though. I passed. Come on. That's the, that's the, the mercy and favor of God. But, but after my last exam, I jumped on a plane and flew to Louisiana. And I joined my brother-in-law and sister and, uh, and went through probably the most impactful season of my life because I came from a small church, you guys. I came from a church of like 30 people on a good, like 30 people was Easter. So if you came in today and you're like, yeah, they don't do it quite like they should. You know, I was at another church that's about this size and they do it better. That's because I, this is the biggest church I've ever pastored. <clears throat> right? I don't know what I'm doing. But, but what I do know is this. <clears throat> What I, do, what I do know is this, is I, I went to visit my brother-in-law and sister, and I was just expecting church as usual. And I remember my brother-in-law, first thing he said was, hey, this church has had unbroken 72, or 20, 24 hours of prayer since 1972. So if you're going to live in my house, you need to sign up for a three-hour prayer shift once a week. Oh, God. <laughs> But what was crazy is when I showed up at these three-hour prayer shifts once a week, I discovered that this church had teenagers that were on fire for God. And so in these formative years of my life, I would go into a prayer meeting, and there'd be 30 and 40 teenagers just getting a hold of God. Like, I had never seen teenagers on a Friday night. Like, where I'm from on a Friday night, we weren't at the church praying. <laughs> but I discovered some people that had a heart for God, and it changed my world. And, and it gives me this perspective. It's part of our values as a church. One of our values is this. We don't play. Like, like we like to have fun. We like to laugh. But we don't play around because eternity is too long and life is too short. And some things really matter. And I'm just saying, like, if, 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 you're, looking, like, if you're looking for a church that's going to be really cute and, and do everything right, we're not that church. But if you're looking for a house where you can experience the presence and power of God and he can transform your, your family, that's probably the right house for you. So, so here, here's, here's what I read. This is an incredible story about bones. It says this. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20, it says, So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. So they're, they're having a funeral, and the, they, they see these marauders coming, these, these bandits, the Moabites coming, and the funeral looked like this. Oh, no, here they come. Lord, bless him. Take his body. Like, that was, that was the end of his funeral. They throw him in the grave. And as soon as the man touched the bones of the prophet Elisha, he revived and stood up to his feet. I don't know about you, but I believe this. I'm, I'm, you're, you're listening to a pastor who is, 
like, like probably insane, right? Probably crazy enough because I actually believe that a God exists. Anybody else crazy enough, you believe God exists. Anybody else crazy enough to believe that the God that exists can speak the world into existence? Anybody that crazy in this house? Anybody in this house crazy enough to believe that when that God has his anointing rest on some bones and a prophet and somebody throws a dead body into that grave, the the man that was dead jumps back up? Anybody else crazy enough to actually believe? I, I don't believe this is metaphor. I believe that this actually happened. And what's going on here is crazy because this is the real, like the real concept of legacy is happening through the bones of of this prophet. The real idea of legacy is, is what's going on after you're dead. The impact you leave in this world once you're gone. That's what legacy really is. Legacy depends on what you do now, but it's not about what you do now. That business you built is not a legacy until you're gone. That family you've raised is not a legacy until you've moved on and they're still moving forward in the things of God. And so in this prophet's body, there was one last miracle. In this prophet's body, there was one more ounce of faith, and I don't know how that works, and I've never read of this happening again since then, but what I know is this, is that Elisha was buried, and when a dead man was thrown on top of his bones, the Bible says that the anointing in his body quickened that dead man, and he jumped up and took off running with his friends. Legacy is experienced when you're gone, but it's created when you're here. And we as Americans don't tend to think in terms of legacy because we're so consumed with the urgent and the important. We're so focused on what's going on right now that we don't think about what happens when we're gone. We're so focused on what's happening in this moment that we don't think about what happens when our time is done. And I, for one, want to be the kind of person like Elisha that left some sort of a legacy so that when I'm dead and I'm buried in a tomb, that there's kids living for God, that there's families living for God, that there's people who have faith in a living God that really does work in people's lives. I know we can leave all sorts of legacies. It could be a business legacy. It could be a a financial legacy. But I want to leave a faith legacy in my life. I, I want my kids and their kids and their kids' kids to live for God in my life. That's what I'm praying for. Ultimately, that's all that really matters to me at the end of the day. Like, you guys are great, and you really stoke my ego. But at the end of the day, I could care less what you think. What I really care is that my two boys and my one girl are living for God on the day they die, and that their kids are doing the same. Mamas and dads, listen, this is important. Church kids is back in session, but church kids won't put faith in your kids the same way you can. Church kids, they're, they're doing everything they can to give your kids an encounter with God and to teach them the word of God and to encourage them and give you an hour off. But discipleship is 100% on your shoulders. Raising kids 
to honor God is on the parents' shoulders, not the Sunday school teachers. And so I look at Elisha and I see this, this incredible thing and, and this idea that, 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 that urgency overcomes us and so we don't think about legacy. And, and here's the deal. In order for us to think about legacy, we've got to have faith because that's the point of what faith really is. Looking towards what isn't there yet. Legacy is really, it's, it's the the other side of life and of a life that's been lived in faith. That's what legacy is. A life that's been lived in faith then extends as legacy beyond that life. All right, now somebody's probably thinking, oh, great, another faith preacher. Oh, yeah, great. Woo, we came to the wrong church. You probably did because I believe in a God that still does miracles. I believe in a God that still breaks the chains of addictions. I believe in a God that still does the miraculous in our days. The Bible says this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not some weird purple blob that you use to manipulate God to do your will. That's not what it is. It's a conviction that I may not see God working in this moment, but I trust him. And the word is pistuo. It means faithfulness. It, I, I trust him enough that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in something I don't even see yet. Like I trust God enough when he says this in Philippians 1, 6, that he which began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I trust him enough that even when my spouse isn't living for God, I trust him enough. I may not see him getting, getting right. I may not see him living the way that I'd like to see him, but I trust God enough and I'm going to believe in God enough that one day that husband that's gone astray is going to come back to the Lord. We can't be elementary in this thing called faith. Like if there's one thing in your walk with God that the American, the American church is kind of divided. We're either like uh, really crazy on faith or really like, whoa, against faith. But here's the deal. You, you've got to realize that salvation cannot be had without faith. Prayer is ineffective without faith. God cannot be pleased without faith. And the deal is faith speaks to the credibility of the person in whom you have faith. The idea is you're saying that I believe that I don't have what it takes, but there's a God that has what it takes. I don't have the right words to say to counsel my kids, but I have faith in a God that if I trust him, he's going to whisper words in their ears as they're waking up in the morning, and he will bring them back around. This idea of legacy that Elisha left. It's this idea that there's going to be things that I may never see in my lifetime that God will do because of my lifetime. Think about it. Abraham, the great patriarch of Scripture. God promised him to have children as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the sea. God promised him that all nations of the earth would be blessed through his family. And Abram never saw that promise. 
In fact, the land God promised Abram never truly conquered. But it was a promise from God, and Abraham is called the father of faith, and yet he didn't see the thing he had faith towards. Think about this, Moses. Moses is is a great example. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a desert digging out old wounds and old hurts so that God could use him again. And then God calls him out of fiery bush, and we think, ah! And we can read the whole story in two minutes and think that if I just get alone in the desert for two minutes, God's going to do a work in my life. And he can. But understand this, that two minutes for Moses was 40 years. According to scripture, you're only given seven decades. It took four decades for Moses just to get back on track. What I'm saying is this, is that God is faithful. Even when you don't think he's faithful, even when you feel like you're at the back of a desert, he's still working in your life. Even when your your family's gone astray, he is still working things for your good. That's that's the kind of God. Think about Joseph. Joseph is in a prison. Let's say it's 10 years. It's probably at least 10 years that Joseph is in a prison. And we can read that story in just a couple of minutes and think, hey, be like Joseph. Have a robe, a bunch of colors, and you can, you can uh, you know, get, run from Potiphar's wife, and then you end up in jail, and then you bring the cup, and you got the cupbearer, and then you, the dreams. And it was amazing. No, it was 10 years in prison just trusting God for something he could not see. Don't buy into the lie that faith is a purple blob, that if you just manipulate it just right, God will do exactly what you want to do. Faith is trusting in the God who can, whether he does or doesn't. So we see this man, Elisha, he's he's got this incredible moment where God does a miracle through his dead bones. But that miracle through his dead bones, it didn't happen because somehow there was a prayer prayed when somebody threw him on. Like, Lord, bless this guy and raise him from the... That wasn't what happened. It wasn't a prayer prayed. There wasn't some sort of faith for this guy to be raised from the dead. It was a legacy. And that legacy didn't begin when he was dead. It began when he was a little child and he or a young man and he encountered a prophet named Elijah. And when he encountered this prophet, the Bible says he threw away everything he had just to chase this prophet down and follow him and try to see if he could experience the same things this guy was experiencing. And one day in 2 Kings chapter 2, it says this, that when they had crossed the river, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. If there's something this generation needs, guys, it is men and women that stop thinking what you really need in your end of your day is just a better 401k. What we really need is a generation that stops thinking what we really need is a nicer house. 
what we really need is a better car. We need a generation of men and women that will say, God, I want a double portion of your spirit in my life. He says, I want your double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Elisha's legacy did not begin in a grave. It began 60 years earlier when he said, the one thing I want in this life is a double portion of God's spirit on my life. Think about what he's asking. Uh, traditionally, a double portion would have been reserved for the oldest son. When a parent would die, they would split up all their inheritance among the kids, and the oldest son would get a double portion. But we're talking about, Elisha is, is talking to a prophet who has no sons. So there's really two things going on here. Number one, he's saying, I don't want to just be your protege. I don't want to just be someone who follows you. I want to be your son. God works through relationships, people. When you get isolated and you're starting to get depressed and you think, the one thing I need to do is get away from everybody else in church, wrong. When you're struggling, that's when you need the house of God the most. The second thing is this, because there's only one son, there's not really a double portion, is there? Because all that he has is his. And yet he still asks for double. And the prophet Elijah said, you're asking for a very hard thing. Think about it. What's a legacy gift you might give your kids? Could it be your house? I'm going to give my kids a legacy gift. It'll be a house. And then imagine your son coming to you and saying, Dad, can I have two houses? <laughs> Maybe you've got a Mustang in the garage. That's a legacy gift. And, and your daughter walks in and says, uh, Dad, can I have two Mustangs? He's asking for more. He's asking for a double portion. He's saying, I want what I have not seen yet. Often we limit God's access to our lives because we only allow him to do what we've already seen. And I'm telling you, God wants to pour out his spirit. I just feel like, I've told a couple of people this, like, I know I'm supposed to be doing a really cute relationship series right now, but I just feel like that spirit of revival inside of me, like, like old school. And I'm saying that happens that happens when people say, no, I want what I have not seen yet. That happens when they move forward. He didn't ask for Elijah's mantle. He didn't say, I want your mantle. I want your role and your status. No, he said, I want the thing behind your position. I want your encounter with God times two. So there's three ways that we leave a legacy, a spiritual legacy in our lives. The first is this. Church, listen, you got to believe big. You got to believe big. Big belief in God is the kind of belief that leaves legacy. I wasn't going to share the story, but I'll just share. This is my great-grandmother. 
was someone who had big belief in God for things she had never seen before. Um, I'm saying this because out, out of her grandchildren, her, her legacy, what she wanted was for them to live for God and for them to do ministry. And I can't count, I could not count how many of her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren are all living for God in ministry, doing things in the kingdom of God and raising their kids to do the same. But she's the kind of woman, I'm, this is going to be the crazy story, and you're going to be like, we're leaving that church, that guy was crazy. <laughs> they ran a gravel pit in Kimberly, Idaho. And they ran it with a horse. This is back before dozers. And the horse broke its leg. But they were also dirt broke. Had no money. And they couldn't buy another horse. So my grandma believed that she still served a miracle-working God. And there was a horse kicking and thrashing on the ground that needed to be put down, but they knew they couldn't replace it. So grandma walked down with a cup of water, scooped water out of the gravel pit, and said, in the name of Jesus, get up, and threw it on the horse. And the horse stood up and worked the rest of its days. And you may think I just told a fairy tale, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. You've got to have big faith if you want to leave legacy. We shouldn't have small ambitions for a big God. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. Believing big, it challenges our need for control. When we believe small, that means our shoulders can handle it. It means our skill set can control it. It means we can manage the situation. But when we believe God for things outside the scope of what we know, we're relying on the only one that can. I'm telling somebody today that God wants you to believe big for him. He, he wants you to, to, to have big prayers for him. Uh, and and there's, there's all sorts of things in life that are going to want you to stay small, that are going to want you to stay uh, hobbled, that are going to want you to stay easy to deal with. But, but I'm telling you, like if God placed a desire in your heart to start a business and you're like, but I don't have what it takes, I'm telling you, if you can believe that God can raise a, a horse with a broken leg, you can believe God can take somebody that has no business skills and, and create a legacy. Because big faith and big prayers create great spaces for a big God to show up. When we have big prayers, when we have big faith, what we're really saying is that, God, I am not in control of how this thing works out. Because it's beyond what I can do. In fact, I am not in control of outcomes. I'm only in control of obedience. God is in control of outcomes. 
So I'm telling somebody today, would you just trust God again? Would you just believe God for a miracle in your life again? Would you get rid of the blinders that have been on your life telling you that God is just a formality? He's just a, a, some sort of a moral compass. He's just some sort of way to control society. No, he's a God that is alive and active and he works in our world. And I'm telling you, when you honor him with faith, he honors faith with truth. Every time, every time. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. It doesn't say the God that we've got him all figured out. He's within a systematic theology book, so we pretty much know everything there is to know about him. No, above all we can ask or think. I'm talking about the kind of miracle God that would give a church at the back of a field of this building on the side of the road when we didn't have money to put down on it. That's a miracle, folks. It's a miracle. So this idea, you've got to have big faith if you want to leave a legacy of faith in your life. The next thing is this. You've got to have your faith attached to something other than you. It's got to be outside of you. If your faith is on in a high, how manly you are, it's not going to last long. Amen. If your faith is in how, how good you are with numbers, I promise all you're going to get is numbers. But when we place our faith in someone outside of us, and I'm talking about the one on whom the world was created, he can change everything. It says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 20. And thus I will make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ already has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He, uh, Paul was saying it was his ambition. It was, he had this ambition in his life. And, and sometimes we think, yeah, you can't be a spiritual person and have ambition. No. There's a thing called godly ambition. Paul had a godly ambition. He, he was going to go make a difference for God. And his hope for that ambition was not on his ability to communicate, not on his ability to organize logistics. It was on Jesus Christ alone. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant as yourself. Don't make it about selfish ambition. Say, I want, I want a God. Like, maybe that's what you need to pray. Is God, I want a God ambition for my life. Because without ambition, you don't need to pray. And you don't need a miracle. And you don't need a move of God. But when you recognize that there is more that you're unable to reach, you need all three. We're called to have a godly ambition. The last one is this, is that faith in this life never dies. Think about this prophet Elisha. He had faith when he was alive, but he was dead and gone, dried up, 
the whole process, nothing but bones, and a miracle happened. As the band would come forward, I want to say this, that there is no expiration date on your faith. The Bible tells us that Elisha eventually died from the sickness that he died from. That's what it says. He died from the sickness he died from. We all die. The Bible tells us that it is appointed of a man a time to die. We all die. Everybody knows that. But before you step across that threshold, I would ask you, would you plant some stakes in the ground and start building a legacy of faith? This funeral is interrupted by marauders. And the men grab the the dead man and they throw him in the tomb. And when they throw him in the tomb, he jumps back to life. I'm wondering, is is there somebody here that wants to leave a legacy that lasts beyond your lifetime? I'm saying is this building it was a hobby store 20 years ago but we're turning it into a church into a house of prayer into a place where miracles happen into a place where discipleship happens and I believe that when all of us here are gone that there will still be enough faith in this room that your children and your grandchildren will have an encounter with God. Would you stand with me all across the room? What's really crazy about this story is this. The prophet Elijah, if you look in scripture, the prophet Elijah had seven miraculous encounters with God. Seven miracles, you could say. And this young man, Elisha, comes to him and says, I want to have a double portion of your spirit. And if you look at the life of Elisha, somebody, there's there's people that will try to... uh, Define, define away the miraculous in these stories. So if you go Google it later, you'll find that there's going to be people. You got to know that, right? There's there's people that like have no faith that make YouTube channels. Can I just say this? Don't get your theology off YouTube. You can't replace the house of God. And a pastor, the scripture says a pastor is a gift to the church. Not a YouTube personality. Seven miracles in Elijah's life. And Elisha's life fell short. He said he wanted a double portion. Didn't happen. There were 13 miracles in the life of Elisha. And he died put in a tomb and one day years later after his body had decayed 
was enough faith still in the ground that that man that fell short of all that he had hoped for in his life saw one more miracle. And it was a full double portion. I wonder if in this house today there's some men and women, maybe some young people, old people. You recognize what you need the most in your marriage, in your business, in your life. It's just a double portion of God's spirit. If that's you all across the room, put your hand up. Let me see it. Come on. I'm going to pray. Keep your hands up. If you want, if you really want, put two hands up. Let's see it. There we go. Come on. Raising your hands in church. Who'd have thought? I'm going to pray for you right now. We're going to believe God pour out his spirit in this group. Lord Jesus, we trust you and we rely on you and we believe that the days for cute church are over. We believe that the days of fancy religion is over. And God, what we want is not more platitudes and more nice singing and more great music. God, from the bottom of our heart, what we want is an outpouring of your spirit in our lives. God, that your young men and your old men and your young women and your old woman would experience the power and presence of a living God. So Spirit of God, right now, move in these lives and these homes. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit as they go home, that somebody tonight would be awakened by your presence. Lord, that we'd hear of people that are experiencing the power of God on the job and in their home, that those that are astray would come back home again. Lord, that you would begin to heal broken hearts and wounded souls right now. God, we trust you. And what we want most in this life is not a financial benefit. It's not a nicer house. It's not a better car. God, we want your spirit. We want you to pour out your spirit in this place so that you could sweep across this valley so that men and women would be alive with their purpose in you so that men that are wandering souls would have ambition and direction guided by the living God so that women that are searching for significance and trying to flee shame would have shoulders back, hearts open, ministering to other women and seeing a revival of your spirit in our time. We love you, Lord. We worship you, God. We honor you today. Why don't you just sing and worship to the Lord right now? Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.